it's important as people of color to stand up and speak because if we don't, then change won't occur. Welcome to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. While there are a ton of other leadership podcasts out there on the interwebs, this is the only one solely dedicated to developing undergraduate leaders in numerous fields. We bring in interesting leaders from a variety of disciplines and industries to dish out practical advice for entrepreneurial undergraduates embarking on their professional careers. You'll hear from leaders operating at all levels, CEOs and other C-suite individuals who are at the top of their industries, mid-career professionals only several years removed from their college days, and young leaders in school who are already doing amazing things. We feature leaders from business, diplomacy, education, journalism, engineering, law, medicine, and the sports world. It's all part of our mission here at the Pusino Leadership Institute. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, everybody. My name is Keshav Agiwal, and today I'll be your host. For this episode, we are thrilled to have Christopher Lucas and Naya Doe as our guests. Christopher Lucas is a junior finance and marketing major at Seton Hall University. He comes from Oakland, California in the San Francisco Bay Area and hopes to become a future business leader. Among his many accomplishments, Christopher was competitively selected as the Jackie Robinson Foundation Scholar. This foundation provides generous scholarships and mentoring to students of color in the hopes of carrying on the memories of Jackie Robinson. He is heavily involved in many student organizations on campus, including the Hall Street Fund, Seton Hall Consulting Club, Black Student Union, and Black Men of Standard. Christopher is also the class of 2022 representative of the Gerald P. Busino Honors Business Leadership Program. Naya Doe is a sophomore art design and interactive multimedia major on the graphic design and advertising track at Seton Hall University. She is from Laurel, Maryland and hopes to obtain a position on the design team for major publications and then obtain a vice president of marketing position. Naya was a member of the freshman IDT group where the diversity and inclusion initiative originated and was selected by Dr. Price along with Christopher Lucas to lead the diversity and inclusion initiative. Naya is very active on campus serving as Zeta Phi Beta Sorority, Incorporated Psi Pi Chapters President and Seton Hall's National Pan-Hellenic Council Secretary. Naya is also an active member of the Black Student Union, the Black Caucus and the National Council of Negro Women. Chris and Naya, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great. Yeah, thanks for having us. Now, I want to begin by asking a few questions about the Diversity and Inclusion Initiative. But before we jump into that, can you give our listeners a brief overview as to what the Diversity and Inclusion Initiative is? So the Diversity and Inclusion Initiative was an idea from Dr. Price. We came up with this kind of over the summer as we were going through, as this kind of this country was going through this really interesting time after the George Floyd uh, murder. And it just came to his attention that, you know, it was time for an initiative like this within the business leadership program. Um, so what it is, is um, we're just really trying to foster this idea of diversity and inclusion within the entire universe or within the entire institute. Um, so what that is, it's not just diversity for one specific group but really this kind of grand, um, more umbrella term for diversity, trying to cover sexuality, race, gender, age, different cultures, different backgrounds, 
into one space so we can begin to foster this idea of diversity. So like Chris said, this was like created by Dr. Price and it was pushed forward in the spring by my IDT group, Price of Admissions, where we proposed a diversity and inclusion committee. So far, we've had a successful civic engagement class for the freshmen. So as you guys know, usually the freshmen go to the 9-11 museum, but this year that was canceled. So Dr. Price came up with the idea for the diversity and inclusion initiative to teach the civic engagement class. And it was a great class. We had a lot of good feedback from ADs and students, and it really educated the freshmen on primarily civic engagement, but activism also, because along with the civic engagement class, all years had to take the, all grades had to take the anti-bias class. Um, we also plan on being way more active on the um, leadership Instagram, again, doing this podcast interview. So again, spread the word. More information is going to be released on the leadership website, along with um, we're trying to get onto the Setonian. And just being more active in the admissions process, we plan on having a hand in every part of leadership and making diversity inclusion a goal for all aspects of leadership. No, that's honestly so wonderful to hear. So you guys mentioned a few things and I want to ask so many questions about all of them. But my first question is like, I understand that this initiative originated from Naya's interdisciplinary group freshman year. But starting this initiative, like at a time where we were in a completely virtual setting must have like really added some difficulties to you guys as leaders. So what are what are some challenges that you guys faced while starting this initiative? And how did you guys overcome them? I think the first thing was I didn't really know, like, or didn't predict how many students would want to be a part of the initiative. It started off with probably like a list of 10 students, mostly sophomores, I think one junior, and then it turned into a a team of 25 students, including Chris and I, and then Dean Halpin as our advisor. So really like, I think it being virtual also makes it hard to like meet and get everybody together, but we um, mitigate those problems easily. Yeah, and just to add on to that, it's very, we're living through a very interesting time right now. I had a concern that, you know, we weren't going to get as much participation as we had hoped for because we were in this virtual setting, especially when you're dealing with something like this, like a diversity inclusion initiative where, you know, just through the nature of it, some kind of controversial or touchy topics will come up. I didn't know how that was going to transfer through a virtual setting, but everyone kind of, you know, worked through this. And it became this really safe space to have conversations, to open things up. And really, that was the entire goal of the initiative. Yeah, I agree with Chris. I didn't really know how people would respond to a diversity inclusion initiative. It's not really, it wasn't really talked about that much in leadership. And I didn't want people to feel uncomfortable or think of it like this, like dictatorship, calling people out. It's not really like that. It's really like fostering a community within leadership that we already uphold. That's awesome. That's really, really awesome. And another thing that you guys touched on was this leadership class that you guys held for the freshmen. So obviously, preparing for that being that I'm assuming it was your first major project as a group. So like, how did you go about managing that in like a completely virtual setting? I mean, what are some tips you would give to other leaders who are trying to lead their teams in this new type of environment? I would say first, what we did was really as an initiative, just come up with, it's like a step ladder almost. I think we took a, so we wanted everybody to have a say in the class, all of the participants. We even had freshmen a part of the initiative. So we wanted everybody to have a say. And really we came up with 
a long list of things that we wanted to cover. A lot of it could not have been covered in an hour. But with the help of Dean Halpin and Dr. Price, we were able to then narrow it down to aspects such as civic engagement, so what it is, um, barriers against it, um, talking about bias. So we had freshman students submit a video answering questions. Have you ever experienced bias? Do you think it exists? How do you think it affects you as a leader? Things like that. We wanted to play interactive games. So we were brainstorming games like Trusted 10, which we ended up using. And then really looking at the bias training and seeing what wasn't covered in it because we didn't want to be redundant. So a lot of people liked activism because it was so popular, especially performative activism during this virtual time during the spring and summer. So we decided to talk about activism, what it is, how to do it correctly, and the wrong way to go about it, and performative activism, and how it negatively affects the um, purpose of the protest or of the movement. And I think the best way that made it so successful was we delegated. So it wasn't like Chris and I doing all the work, which is one thing we were scared of in the beginning, our two people going to create a class, but delegating the work. So whoever, letting people pick what interests them the most. So if you liked activism, you could do the activism research. If you like the game and want to conduct the game, you can conduct the game. And then people who like design can design the presentation. So I think delegating and making sure everybody had a say in what we were doing made it the best class because we it wasn't just Chris and I's ideas. It was everybody's perspective. And we have a diverse group of people within the initiative. Another thing that we did really well, um, spe- specifically Naya, is coming to every meeting with a plan. So when you're having these kind of virtual settings, you know, usually if you walk, if you were to walk in a room, there's some small talk, something like that. Um, but with this more virtual setting, it makes it difficult to have those more natural social interactions. So it's important to come to the meeting with a plan so you can kind of get things started right when you get in there. And also to kind of break down the space, make it as, I guess, social as possible. I know after at least personally months of kind of just doing everything virtual, it's nice to come into a space where it's still virtual, but like it feels more social. It feels like you can talk. It feels like it's just everyone sitting in a room. Um, I think that's something that we did a really good job of and just making it seem like we're a space where everyone can speak. I know a lot of the time with these virtual settings, it's usually one presenter and then everyone else is kind of just there. But in our initiative, we really wanted to push this idea of, you know, you can speak at any time, raise your hand, of course, so we're not all speaking over each other, but we want it to be a space where it's just like we're sitting in a room and anyone can talk at any time. I definitely agree with Chris. We wanted it to be interactive and we didn't want people to feel uncomfortable in the space. So a lot of the conversations we were having were difficult. I don't think anybody really wants to or wants to really dwell on their biases and the negative aspects of those um, topics, but we wanted things like the Trusted 10 game to be a way for people to realize their biases without attacking their character, if that makes sense. So just understanding what it does and how you can improve on it. Everybody has bias, but it's the way we react to our biases and the way we um, don't let it affect the way we look at people negatively is that's the important part of civic engagement and activism. So I definitely agree. We wanted it to be interactive. We didn't want it just to be us talking the whole time. That's wonderful. So, I mean, from what I'm hearing, it sounds like this initiative is having a really strong impact, not only on like the freshman students who got to go through this class, but also like your team who gets to really experience this virtual setting. So just thinking more about the future now, like 
what are some long-term visions that you guys have for the initiative and where do you guys see this initiative going like even after you guys have graduated? I think for me it really originates in my IDT group which was part of a mission so having the initiative be an active role in admissions in making sure that leadership is a diverse a well-rounded group of students and I want leadership to also be not just like racially diverse but economically diverse, different like are in our mission. So I don't want it to just people just to think that it's just about race or it's just about things like that, but or gender, the basic like bias or diversity aspects, but all socioeconomic backgrounds, all different people from different places coming together. And I want it to reflect not only Seton Hall, but the world at hand and where we're going out to be leaders. We're not going to be surrounded by just people just like us. So I want the initiative to be very, have a very big hand in admissions and uphold the diversity inclusion that even the university is beginning to concentrate on even more because of the times that we're in right now. So that's the big aspect that I hope will continue after I graduate. And then as well as the uh, points that Naya said, my overall goal, and I know Naya's as well, was to really just make leadership a space where everyone feels comfortable depending on race, gender, sexuality, anything, anything, that it's just a fate, a space where you feel comfortable, a space where you walk in the room, you say, okay, like, these are like-minded people, even though we may not all be the same, still like-minded people who are open to different conversations, open to different types of people. Um, so in the future, I hope that we just keep building on what we've already done um, and just trying to, or just keep making it a better space for everyone. Yeah, definitely. Like, I want a person of color, a person of the LGBTQ community, even a student from maybe a lower um, socioeconomic background to walk into leadership class and feel that they'll be supported and surrounded by people like them, but also people different. So I know, like, as a woman of color, walking into leadership, it can be daunting sometimes leadership isn't the most diverse. So sometimes you may feel uncomfortable in certain situations, even in class, you may feel uncomfortable in certain situations as the only person of color or the only woman in the class or in the room. So I want a student to walk into leadership and feel comfortable and um, know that they're supported and surrounded by different types of people. That's wonderful to hear. And I think you guys touched on a lot of like great points there. So I mean, as as people of color, what what do you think are some added challenges that we we have to face, especially when we're kind of leading a team or navigating through this like professional environment? And how do you think as people of color, we can we can lead and kind of overcome those challenges? I think for me, something that I've always struggled with is that I never want to be seen as the angry Black woman when I'm passionate about something. Oftentimes, if I'm not the leader of the group, I'll sit back and probably be quiet about things and then let the leader just delegate or tell me what to do because I don't want to seem like I'm taking control or pushing this certain narrative that nobody else agrees about. But I'll definitely say that as a person of color, sometimes it's needed. So if I didn't push for a diversity inclusion committee, we wouldn't be here right now. And I think from mentors like that I met at Seton Hall, like Dean Whitney, um, Dr. Shana Cooper Gibson, um, taught me that this it's important as people of color to stand up and speak, because if we don't, then change won't occur. And what I've noticed is that a lot of the times issues or kind of problems or challenges arise from kind of a, a difference of opinion. And something, of course, that we wanted to push in this initiative was 
creating a space where everyone feels comfortable. And that could be people agreeing to disagree, even though you're coming from two different viewpoints, just the ability to go like, okay, well, this is what I think, but I respect what you think. And I think that's something that is really important, especially in today's kind of changing society. There's a lot of varying different viewpoints from a lot of different sides and different opinions and different issues, but it's just so kind of coming to these conversations with respect not thinking that your point is better because that's what like you've believed your entire life, but just coming to this with like, I understand that I am me, but I also understand that you are you and you have your own opinions about things. So like as we move forward and as things go on, uh, we really just want to keep adding to that and hoping that we can build off of that. Wonderful. So Naya, you are a second year leadership student and Chris, you're a third year. So like, what are some leadership skills that you guys have learned from Dr. Price that you've applied as leaders of this initiative now? I think for me coming out of my IDT group, I definitely wasn't as vocal as I usually am. And Dr. Price definitely taught me to um, speak up about things, learning to find the right balance, because I think sometimes when I'm in a group and I'm not like the leader or the CEO. I'm either at two extremes. I'm trying to take control or I'm just sitting back and doing what I'm told and finding that happy middle really was um, what helped. He helped me with. And for me, Dr. Price has always been a, a good friend of mine. I got to meet him as he was coming into this program. And he's someone that I look up to. I love Dr. Price, one of my best friends. Like he's called me multiple times, we have conversations. And something that I've picked up specifically from him is how he carries himself. A lot of the times when people think of a leader, they think of someone who kind of has to be like the, the, the dictator, someone who's telling people what to do, kind of this hard personality. But if you've ever, ever had a conversation with Dr. Price, you'll quickly realize that he's a very fun, just lovable guy, but also a great leader. And my freshman year, that was something that I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn the balance between being a leader, but also being someone that people just like to be around, you know, being a likable person. And Dr. Price, he's an amazing example of that. And it shows through his leadership program. I think he's done a great job of fostering that idea in the program. And if you have the opportunity to speak with any leadership student, I'm sure you'll be able to pick up on those characteristics as well. Yeah. So, I mean, apart from then the Leadership Institute and Dr. Price, I mean, are there any pieces of advice that you guys have received like throughout your life, like maybe from family or from friends that have have like really like stuck with you throughout your life and have made you want to become a better leader or pursue a position in leadership? Yes. My dad, he has this quote that he's told me for years and years and years and years, which is show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I mean, what that means is that pretty much you're going to kind of show the characteristics of the people that you spend the most time with. Um, this is the reason that I really wanted to come to Seton Hall and join this leadership program was because I would be able to spend time around other leaders, around people who I would want to be around or people who I'd like to be like. I've learned so much from just even students my age, other, other peers my age about leadership and about these different characteristics. I feel like I could just kind of like pick and pull from each person and kind of combine to make this perfect leader. So yeah, for me, it's show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Feel free to always feel free to pick up on things from other people, learn from other students, and just be open to always growing. I definitely agree. My mom, mostly, but like in my family, I always say like I was born to be a leader. I really didn't have a choice. I was surrounded by like a family full of strong women who led the family. So I didn't, my grandfather passed away before I was born. So most of the people who led my family was my grandmother, my aunt, and my mother. 
And we all looked up to them because they were highly educated women who led in their field. So it really, like, I didn't really have a choice to really not be a leader. Um, and my mother always showed me examples, like even going to work with her and seeing her lead her own team. It taught me how to do it, but also I think I've grown a lot within the past couple of weeks, earning this leadership position as the co-leader of diversity and inclusion, but also being the president of a chapter of a sorority can be hard. And I think having that sisterhood of um, my sorority sisters to check me and tell me when they don't like something or something that I need to change because it's on a smaller scale than the initiative or leadership as a whole. Like Chris said, taking different styles from other people. So like I may see how my vice president of my chapter um, leads in certain aspects and I may like that. So I may take that or even like delegating. I did not, I learned that from Ava Eckberg who was the, um, leader for my IDT group and it worked really well within our IDT group. So I felt that's a really good tool that I could use and I enacted it in the initiative and it worked really well. So definitely I agree with Chris, just looking at the people that we're surrounded by and taking different tools and using them to our benefit. Yeah, so from what I'm hearing, you guys had some great advice, like even before you got to the Leadership Institute. And from what it sounds like, the Leadership Institute really helped you guys become even better leaders than you like already were. So just my question for you guys then is, how has being a part of this leadership program kind of changed your definition of like leadership, if at all? And also, I mean, like, what is your definition of good leadership? So for me, I think coming in as like a high schooler, thinking of leadership is just like telling people what to do. Like if you're a captain of a team, you just tell your teammates what to do. If you're leading a project, you just tell your partners what to do. But within leadership, learning how to lead myself, especially in freshman year, learning those pillars helped me look within myself and what I needed to improve. And then coming into sophomore sophomore year and the spring semester of freshman year, learning how to lead others and gaining those tools to learn how to take a step back as a leader and let other people speak and take charge and let everybody almost be a leader in a group. Because I think being in a group of leaders can be hard, but um, it can be beneficial. Um, And I think my definition of leadership is I like servant leadership. So leading others or guiding others to the best of their abilities. So I'm not really telling you what to do, but we are together working to be the best or come out with the best product. Like as a design student, I would lead a team to come up with the best visual display of a brand. I'm not doing it by myself. I'm leading and guiding the people around me. And for me, I'll say that my leadership or my kind of definition or style of leadership definitely has changed since entering this program, coming in as kind of a naive, wide-eyed freshman. Um, I've changed a lot since then. I've grown a lot. And the most important thing, at least for me personally, was, you know, getting more comfortable with myself, understanding myself better. Because when you're in this leadership position, everyone's kind of looking up to you. You're, you're supposed to kind of be this cornerstone or this pillar of security or foundation. And I realize it's difficult to do that if you're not fully like confident in yourself or you don't fully understand yourself or there's parts of yourself that are difficult for you to understand. So over these now three years, wow, it's long, it's a long time. Over these three years, um, I've grown more in myself. And it's just, I've noticed that as I've grown more in myself, I've grown better as a leader. 
Um, I feel more confident making decisions. I feel more confident delegating different ideas, delegating different tasks. And that's easily been the biggest change that I've noticed. It's just being more comfortable in myself, growing in myself, and kind of transferring that idea to my leadership style. Oh, and then my definition of leadership. I've always thought that, you know, people put off the same energy that they receive. So if when I'm leading, I always want to kind of give off the energy that I hope to receive as well. So my definition of leadership is somewhat like Nye's, which is lead by example, but not just by example, but lead kind of with the same energy that you'd like to receive as well. I think that does a great job for not only yourself, but also inspiring um, the entire team. Yeah, Chris, I think what you bring up is really important, kind of getting comfortable with ourselves. And that's really the theme of the first year of leadership is leading ourselves. So learning how to lead ourselves will help us lead others. So I think that's, that's a really, really important point. So I mean, given that you guys had like similar ideas of what leadership like is and like similar leadership styles, I'm, I'm still sure that like leading this initiative together, you guys still have differing opinions. So how do you guys kind of resolve differences that you have and come together in a consensus? Surprisingly, Chris and I find it easy to agree with each other. Um, it's funny because we'll text each other before meeting and say, like, what are you plan on talking about? And it'll be the same thing. So it's almost like we have the same um, before, like coming into the initiative, when Dr. Price first talked to us to let us know that we we're co-leaders, we both had the same plans for the initiative. So we don't, I feel like we don't find it hard to agree with each other or like have the same vision. Yeah, I, I would completely agree. Dr. Price, he came to us and said that Nye and I were going to be the co-presidents of this initiative. And he gave a reason for it. He said that, you know, he wants it to be multiple people, not just one person, because, you know, this is a diversity and inclusion initiative. So we want the leadership to be diverse as well. Um, and I think that's come through in kind of our leadership style Although we, we, we do agree on most things, I will say that. Um, but one thing is that we do always look at things a little bit different. We'll have a different perspective on kind of the same topics. And that's really what you need in leadership um, or that's what you need in any group. Uh, there was a quote, I, I forget the exact quote, but it's something along the lines of, you know, the more diverse the group you have, pretty much the more you're ready to take on because you have different perspectives, you have different ideas. Everyone's gonna have a different way of looking at something. Um, so yes, me and I, we agree on, I would say almost everything, <laughs> but what, what's really useful is the slight difference in perspective or viewpoints that we have on some of the topics. So for leaders out there who do have to co-lead, who do find themselves in difficult situations where they aren't seeing eye to eye with their co-leaders, how would you kind of recommend to them to kind of overcome that challenge, overcome those issues and start cooperating with one another? I know, Chris, you had talked about seeing things from a different perspective, but if that doesn't work, what, what would you suggest? Yeah, so I think this goes back to the idea of kind of respect that I was mentioning before, where even if there is some sort of disagreement to handle these conversations or issues with a level of respect um, so that you can kind of come to the best conclusion, you're always going to run into some sort of headbutting when you're working with the team, with the group, with the partner. But I think it's, it's important to kind of get that stuff out the way earlier than later. So if there is some sort of issue or is some sort of disconnect, 
to handle that right when it comes up and not let that linger on. Because as you let that linger on, it's just going to kind of fester like a, like a cut or a wound. It's going to grow and grow and grow. So yeah, if you're not able to see eye to eye, have a conversation about it. Again, that was really the, the point of this entire initiative to be able to have conversations. So, you know, have a conversation, talk it through, and hopefully you can come to some sort of conclusion. I agree with Chris. I think the best thing to do is really talk before you get your group together or say you're leading an initiative and before you get all the members together. As co-leaders, just talk first on what your styles are, where your boundaries are, the way you like to communicate, and setting those guidelines in the way you guys um, lead together is what where you avoid problems. So say if Chris doesn't like a certain way that I communicate, as long as you guys have a good communication and um, let each other know how you feel, that's the way you grow as leaders and grow to lead better together. Um, definitely communication is really big um, when you're co-leading. Wonderful, wonderful. So as we come close to the end, listening to both of you speak today was just really, really inspiring. So just real quick in like one word, how would you guys like summarize your leadership journey and why would you use that one word? I would say for me, I would say flourishing. And I would use that because like I started off as like this little, I definitely started fresh in college. I'm an out-of-state student, so I didn't really know anybody um, coming into season hall. And like I started off as this quiet, like I wanted, I started joining clubs here and there, but didn't really think about, did I ever really think I was going to be the president of a sorority? No. Did I think I was going to lead my own initiative by sophomore year? No. But as I started blooming out of my shell and um, speaking up more and getting more active, I became this leader that I am and start listening to other people's, gaining more insight from Dr. Price and all of the mentors that we have in leadership and on campus. Um, I became the person I am today. And then for me, I would, I would use the word dynamic. My leadership style has changed over the years, definitely since freshman year. And as I'm on this leadership journey, I would just say that you know, my leadership, it's, it's been dynamic. It's, it's free flowing. It's changing all the time. And when I was a freshman, I used to look at these changes as, you know, oh, this isn't good. Oh, like this change, maybe this is the best thing. But no, I think it's just important to get comfortable with the changes, like as you grow, as you become a better leader, your leadership style will change. Um, how you lead will change. So just for me, it's been dynamic. It's changed often, but I like where it's going. I, I like Naya's word as well, flourishing. I'll say that mine, mine, you know, leadership has been flourishing as well, but it's also dynamic in the aspect where, you know, it's just ever changing. And that's not a bad thing. It's an important thing. It's growth. At the end of the day, it's growth. Right. So now just a real quick before we wrap up this interview, I would like to know, and I think the listeners would also like to know if there are any leaders that you follow on social media or if there are any books or podcasts that you would recommend our listeners take a look at. I think for me, it's hard to choose. Um, I would say two because they're two opposite ends of the spectrum. First would be First Lady Michelle Obama. I've been looking up to her since 2008 when everything started um, and just seeing what she has done as like a highly educated woman of color um, in the way that she elegantly like carries herself as a leader is definitely inspiring for me and then on the other side of the spectrum is probably Amanda Seals she's an activist on social media tv and she's way more um, outgoing and loud and obnoxious almost but not really in a bad way she stands up and she says what she feels 
um, unapologetically with sometimes with no filter and sometimes that's needed. And I feel like um, as a black woman, it's easy for her to be stifled by the media, but she doesn't let it stop her. And I really like the way um, she stands up and fights for what she believes in. And then for me, I would say there's not, there's not, I wouldn't recommend a specific person. However, if I was asked this question, I would respond by saying, you know, we all have leaders in our life that, you know, we, we wouldn't necessarily see as a leader, but they are a leader. They have leadership characteristics. And these can just be like everyday people in your lives. There's a point in my life when I just noticed like, wow, all these people around me are just a wealth of knowledge. I was with my barber and my barber was just talking about, I forgot specifically what it was, but you know, I just noticed like, wow, like this person who I see, you know, every couple of weeks that I don't really usually spend that much time talking to is actually a wealth of knowledge. Um, so that inspired me to go talk to just everybody, realizing the fact that, you know, everyone has leadership characteristics and you can learn something from every single person that you talk to. So if I was asked a question, I would say, you know, go out there, talk to people, uh, talk to anyone. It doesn't have to be some like political leader or someone with a specific or like title, leadership title. It can be anyone, your mom, your dad, your grandmothers, all of these people are wealth of knowledge. Uh, you just have to go out there and try to grab it. I definitely would say like in the times that we are now with civil unrest, especially after George Floyd, documentaries like the 13th, when they see us um, on Netflix, are definitely good educational documentaries to um, watch. And then books. There's so many books written that has been like on a reading list of mine. I can't think of any right now, but um, there's a lot of books on the Black Lives Matter website and things like that that are good to read. But even outside of that, there's so many documentaries on so many different subjects within Netflix and Hulu that even if you stumble upon them, I suggest that you um, watch them to see different perspectives. Thank you so much, guys, for coming onto the podcast. You guys said a lot of really insightful stuff and stuff that I think I'm going to be going and reflecting on now. That is all the time we have, but thank you again for coming onto the podcast and to our listeners out there, we will see you next week. Great. Thank, thank you. you so much. On behalf of everyone at the Bucino Leadership Institute, I'd like to thank all of our podcast listeners, the podcast team, as well as 89.5 WSOU Pirate Radio for allowing us to use their facilities. Follow us online at www.shu.edu backslash leadership and on Twitter at Shu Leadership. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better.